First of all, let me just emphasize this point. Apostles are a legitimate and biblical category. No Bible-believing Christian can deny that. And we're not talking here about some weird extra-biblical thing like cosmic masters. It's not even like we're talking about widely accepted extra-biblical categories like popes or overseers or superintendents or something like that. There are apostles in Scripture. In fact, that's where we get the concept. And every Bible-believing Christian accepts that there, are bio, that there are apostles in Scripture. And so we're not arguing here about whether or not the gift itself is biblical. The argument is over whether or not the gift continues today or ceased in the first century. Okay, so again, we all agree that the Bible clearly affirms the apostolic gift in office. Here's another thing we can all agree on. The Bible never explicitly says that the gift will cease or be revoked. Now, whether the Bible implies that in some way, that's an open question. That's what this podcast is about. But since the Bible clearly affirms that the apostolic gift is valid, and since it never explicitly says the gift will cease or be discontinued, and in fact, since it seems to strongly indicate the exact opposite, the burden of proof then is on those who want to argue the gift has ceased. What evidence is there for such a claim? And I'll just tell you, it's a really difficult case to make from Scripture because, again, not only does Scripture never explicitly say that the apostolic gift will cease, it seems to indicate the exact opposite. And why do I say that? Well, first... All those cessationists would like you to believe that apostles were a small, rare, closed group. In reality, when you read your New Testament, it looks like apostles are pretty common in the early church. And in fact, the New Testament mentions apostles far more than pastors, teachers, or evangelists. It's very clear that there are more apostles in the early church than the original 12. And new apostles keep coming on the scene all the way to the very end of the biblical record, 70 or 80 years after the original disciples. Okay, so... That's the first thing. Second, the scriptures tell us what the apostolic gift is for. Ephesians 4.12 says that apostles are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Is that still necessary? Do we still need to be equipped? Then why would we assume that we don't need any of the gifts that are given for that purpose? Third, and this in my mind should end the debate completely. The next verse there in Ephesians 4 tells us exactly how long we're going to have apostles. It says we're going to have them until... We all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Has that happened yet? Have we attained to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? I think not. So then why would we assume without any biblical warrant that any of these gifts are no longer given or necessary? Now, obviously cessationists have things to say about Ephesians 4. We'll get to that in a little bit. But for now, let's just say that again, it's a very difficult case to make from Scripture that apostles are no longer given to the church at least in the same way that evangelists, pastors, and teachers are. And so one of the common ways that cessationists try to make a more compelling case, since Scripture doesn't help them out very much, is they appeal to history. They say, like you heard John MacArthur say in that montage I played earlier, that these crazy NAR people believe that the long-lost offices of New Testament prophet and New Testament apostle have been restored. And admittedly, that does sound weird. So cessationists want you to take for granted that there were no more apostles after the original 12 died. Like John MacArthur said, until about 2001, when suddenly charismatics claimed that we entered into a second apostolic age. Personally, I've never heard anything like that before. MacArthur loves to take some one-off thing that some charismatics said one time in some conference somewhere and then present it as something that all charismatics believe and teach. It's beyond 
ridiculous. That clip that you just heard was from a podcast episode Daniel Kalinda did three months ago called Are There Apostles in the Church Today? And I encourage you, uh, go listen to that podcast episode that he did and open your Bible, look at it in scripture and see what he's talking about because it's it's a very long episode and that's not the focus today, but I did want to play that clip. It's about a two hour and 15 minute long podcast, but it's worth a listen. So Go over and listen to it and see what you take from it from Scripture and see what Scripture actually has to say on the matter and do your own study on this to come to your conclusions based on good, solid biblical study and teaching. But I wanted to play that because I I just had to chuckle at that last statement that he made about just a one-off statement, which is not true at all. If if you've done your homework and you've listened to any of the podcasts I've done about this topic, which actually a few months ago, I recorded an episode in which I discussed the issue of NAR deniers and some of the evidence supporting the existence of a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. And in some of these clips, uh, we got to hear both the claims of the NAR being essentially a conspiracy theory. The torch has now been passed to the heresy-hunting evangelicals, who have not only kept the conspiracy theory alive, they've actually taken it to a whole new level. And maybe you wonder why. Well, that's the second part of this whole thing, the charismatic connection. And this part is pretty easy to understand. These evangelical heresy hunters have always hated charismatics. Why? Well, a lot of it, I think, just boils down to jealousy. Even Jesus, the Bible tells us, was delivered up by the Pharisees because of jealousy. And it's not difficult to understand why they're jealous. And we heard from leaders within this movement, particularly particularly Peter Wagner, how this was indeed a movement. As I mentioned, the year 2001 opened the second apostolic age. The government of the church is now in place. We're aligning with apostles and prophets. And this, this war that we're in, that we have talked about, has two fronts. It has a spiritual front and it has a natural front. And um, in the spiritual front, it says we must stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? The wiles of the devil are anything that he does to maintain the dominion that he that he stole from Adam in the Garden of Eden. That's the spiritual front, but we better not stay there. We better bring it down to the natural front. And that's what all the dancing us as Robert's going to talk about. We're going to talk about bringing it to earth. And this is a new cutting edge for this generation. God is revealing powerful concepts for us, which I don't have time to explain. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're going to hear about them real soon. Or get my book um, called Dominion. Okay, now, they're, 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 uh, the first, first of all, I want to repeat something. You have to write it down because you already have it in your notes. But I want to remind you that the new apostolic reformation is the most radical change in the way of doing church since the Protestant Reformation. That's what we're, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're springing off into the 21st century so if apostles, if apostles are the top leaders, now this is just logical, they, they have tremendous authority. See that word authority? They, they make the final decisions. That's what leadership is. No, it doesn't mean they don't consult. It doesn't mean they don't get a lot of advice. It doesn't mean, they, they, it doesn't mean they're autocrats. But they, take, they listen to everybody's advice. And who makes the final decision? The apostles make the final uh, decision. Let me, let me give you two foundational axioms now. For the new apostolic reformation i'm using a couple of technical terms the new apostolic reformation the whole movement that i said we can trace back to about 1900 the second apostolic age here in america in north america began in 2001 it began in africa before this it actually began in china before this and other places but um and, and the, well, as we know it, it began in 2001 
So let me give you two foundational axioms of the whole new apostolic uh, reformation. Here are the two foundational axioms. Now, I'm going to go slow on this if anybody's taking notes. I want to make sure you get this down. And, and the wording is very important, okay? The new apostolic reformation, number one, represents the most radical change in doing church since the Protestant Reformation. The most radical... Now, see that word, doing church? It doesn't mean it's a great change in theology. We believe in the theology of the Reformation, by and large. It's not a big theological change. It's a change in the way of carrying out the life of the church. The most radical change... In fact, I could argue that it's the most radical change in doing church since the first century. Could you do that? Yeah. yeah. But I won't go into that because I don't want to ruin the night's sleep of the Lutherans. <laughs> okay, number two. Of all the changes, see that is the most radical change, but of all the changes, this is the most radical one. The amount of spiritual authority delegated by the Holy Spirit to individuals. The amount of spiritual authority delegated by the Holy Spirit to individuals. There have been numerous individuals and leaders who have stated that this movement does not exist, or they have no idea what it is when asking fellow leaders. And there are some people that do acknowledge it but then they use different terms to try to acknowledge it. So it gets very confusing. And you may or may not be aware, but on October 10th of last month, actually, a statement was posted online titled The NAR and Christian Nationalism Statement. According to an article on Newsweek, Michael Brown and Joseph Matera co-drafted this statement, addressing both issues of New Apostolic Reformation and Christian nationalism. We're going to be reading part of this document today, addressing the NAR, as I would argue that this is a separate issue from Christian nationalism, along with discussing some issues, concerns, observations, and distinctions made when discussing apostles. We will also look at some interesting changes to the ICAO site, along with a few clips pertinent to this topic, one of which brings pause and questions for consideration. Amen. Well, we're so excited to have you here. I want to have you pray, because again, there was something about uh, the impartation uh, the cluster anointing, I, I believe in that. You know, I believe, uh, if I could be bold, I feel that God's called you to be an apostle in the body of Christ, and um, you're like an apostolic evangelist, and amazing, uh, the ministries that you have birthed, and uh, the schools, and just your international work around the world, and you're a prolific author, and I feel you carry authority. And, um, and so I would love for you to pray and make some decrees and declarations for revival for those who are watching, who are hungry for God, yes. for a visitation to come into their homes. And I'll join you in joy and I will join you in this prayer. Amen. Does Cheon's definition of apostle match Dr. Michael Brown's, which that's the two that were conversing right there during a show in August of 2020? I'm not sure if their definitions match as far as what an apostle is, but... At any rate, let's find out. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. As of recording this day, November 1st, 2022, 302 individuals have signed the NAR Christian Nationalism document located on the site nar-and-christian-nationalism.com. Included in the initial signatures are people you might be familiar with, Heidi Baker, Dr. Randy Clark, Dr. Michael Brown, Mark Sharona, Daniel Kalinda, Jennifer LeClaire, 
and John Kelly, just to name several of those that are listed as the initial signatures. There are no other signatures of high-profile leaders you will find yet on this document. I want to read the first one and a half pages of this document. I will not be reading the remainder of the document, which is five pages long, simply because of the vastness of both topics, and I'm not going to be able to even cover the, the, the full scope of the NAR today, and the personal opinion that there are distinctions between these issues and being affiliated with the NAR does not make one a Christian nationalist. I understand that there are those in this movement who would be considered both based on conduct during specific events and in their speech, decrees, and declarations that they've made, but the topic at hand today will be on the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR. Another reason for not addressing Christian nationalism is that it can be argued this movement and the beliefs tied to it primarily that there are apostles and prophets today with governing authority, a distinction some fail to make when addressing this issue. I think I need to remind you of one important part of that NAR conspiracy theory because it brings us to today's topic. One of the main accusations about the NAR is that its supposed members are accused of something so terrible. I can hardly bring myself to say it out loud. Parents, if you have small children listening to this, cover their ears because this is so egregious. It's so maniacal. It's so nefarious that one can only say, may God have mercy on their souls. These people being accused of associating with this fictitious society called the NAR are accused of, are you ready for it? Believing that there are still apostles and prophets in the world today. Yep, that's right, folks. That's the big heresy. That's the big blasphemy. It's by far the biggest issue raised by these critics. And in fact, it's so significant that it's right there in the name, the new apostolic reformation. Is not only an American movement and of concern, but this is a global movement spanning also Africa, Asia, and Latin America. This is not just on one continent. In uh, God's Super Apostles, written by Doug Guyvett and Holly Pivick, the authors note that 3 million people in the U.S. alone attend churches openly embracing NAR apostles and prophets. There is also the European Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, as well as 45 national coalitions in countries such as Nigeria, Brazil, Canada, and Australia. These are cited in that book as well, which I would encourage you to read that book, God's Super Apostles. I hope you can see why this goes beyond being a national issue on the political front. And this goes to the core teaching of governing apostles and prophets today being restored and having authority in the church so that the Great Commission can be accomplished. And in order for this to occur, pastors must submit to an apostle via network so that this can occur. Now, keep in mind what was discussed in a previous episode titled, This is Dedicated to the NAR Deniers. This was an episode I did um, a couple months ago. And if you haven't listened to it yet, you might want to stop before listening to this episode and go back and listen to to it because of some of the background understanding to why this is such an area of concern and contention. And the link to it, along with another related episode about apostolic authority, will be in the description of this episode today. Having said all that, let's hear the section of the document pertaining to the NAR. It begins, In light of the controversy surrounding the terms New Apostolic Reformation, NAR, and Christian nationalism, we are issuing this statement of clarification, with an end note on number one, which I'll come back to in just a minute. We affirm the importance of Ephesians 4.11 ministries for the church today and believe that such ministry functions have existed throughout church history, even if not described in these exact terms. We affirm that contemporary apostolic and prophetic ministries are important for the well-being and mission of the church, just as evangelistic, pastoral, and teaching ministries are important. 
By apostolic, we are referring to visionary leaders who are missional, fathering, and pioneering, such as church planters, networkers, or movement leaders, often marked by their focus on gospel expansion beyond one local region. Such leaders are identified by their function, whether or not they use the term apostolic and whether or not they are Pentecostal or charismatic. By prophetic, we are referring to church leaders who understand and declare the mind of God for specific times and seasons, helping the Lord's people respond biblically. Such leaders are identified by their function, whether or not they use the term prophetic, and whether or not they are Pentecostal or charismatic. We reject the belief that contemporary apostles carry the same authority as did the original 12 apostles. We reject the belief that contemporary prophets have the same exact function or carry the exact same authority as did Old Testament prophets. We reject the belief that every church must be submitted to apostles and prophets to be in right order before the Lord. We further oppose the possible abuse of ecclesial titles that manifests itself in self-proclaimed apostles and prophets claiming territorial authority over pastors in a community, city, or nation. We reject the belief that new revelation is essential for the life and growth of the church, or that contemporary apostles or prophets are the only ones privy to such, quote, new revelation. We affirm the full sufficiency of Scripture for the health and mission of the church. We affirm that the spirit of true apostles and prophets should exemplify the attitude and lifestyle of Jesus, referencing Philippians 2, verses 4 through 12, coming alongside other church and workplace leaders to serve them, not replace them. In short, We deny any affiliation with what is presently characterized as NAR in many circles of both Christian and secular press. We also believe that reports of an alleged conspiratorial, worldwide, dangerous NAR movement are highly exaggerated and misleading, end quote. And then they go on for the remaining pages to talk about Christian nationalism. Now, having read that, I want to start off with the positive aspects of this and saying that I appreciate the willingness to say some of these things, even though there has been some confusing statements being made by the same people saying that the NAR doesn't exist. It's a conspiracy theory, which they put that in there. And I want to address that near the end because I found that statement bothersome and um, off-putting, to be quite frank. But nevertheless, there were things in here that I appreciated that they addressed in some way in writing. They said they rejected the belief that contemporary apostles and prophets had the same function or the same authority as those in Scripture. And they also said that they reject the belief that every church must be submitted to apostles and prophets to be in right order before the Lord. I appreciate them saying that, that they oppose the abuse of the ecclesial titles. Um, and it sounds like they and they reject the belief that new revelation is essential for the church and, and it's essential for uh, in the body of Christ and that they affirm the full sufficiency of scripture and and they want people to have a servant's heart, the leaders to have a servant's attitude and a servant's heart and to glorify Christ. I appreciate all that wording. But having said all that, this is not addressing the issues. And even in their definitions, which we're not going to talk on the prophetic today, I think I'm going to save that for another day because I have, having come out of this movement and being identified as a prophet, even though I wasn't like one of the the high profile type prophets, but still being in this movement and, and in the prophetic and in the deliverance aspect of it and such, I have concerns and questions coming out of it now that I think actually attacks the sufficiency of Scripture. And it and it also disregards the reverence towards God when claiming that you're speaking on behalf of God. But with the definition of, of the apostolic, you're going to see that they're, they're morphing, they're evolving from what they used to do 
Um, they're now switching over to saying that it, they want to switch to being uh, called apostolic and referring to apostles in an, in an adjective way of description rather than the noun of them being that. It almost seems like a game of semantics, to be honest. When I, when I read this and see what they're doing, it seems like they're rewording the same type of belief system, that nothing's really changing. It's almost like on paper, oh, yes, we affirm all these things and we're saying all these things and we don't agree with them. Listen, I don't know their hearts and I don't know their intentions. I'm just telling you, just reading this and, be, and someone that has come out of this movement, as many other people have, to, um, to be frank, it doesn't seem like it carries a whole lot of weight. Um, and that it really matters. And, and they're also making the, the, the correlation with Christian nationalism with it. And it just seems like it's not addressing the problem. It's, it's kind of like um, there's an elephant. It's like the elephant in the room and the elephant's being ignored. So uh, we're going to touch a little bit on that. I have several different things to share with you today just to offer for consideration when discussing the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, there were some interesting observations that I made in addition to this statement, when I was reading through it and also looking at some of the things that have transpired online and uh, some of the affiliations. So I want to share these with you. And even though they may seem dated, that they're not current as far as things that were said or done, I still think that, that we need to take these things in consideration because some of these leaders are still currently around today. And as we talked about in a previous podcast, uh, for instance, Cheon is one of the spiritual sons of Peter Wagner. He has his own ministry. We'll touch on that in just a second. But he wrote a book in 2019 called Modern Day Apostles. He affirms the New Apostolic Reformation in there. He believes in the governing authority. He used the same verbiage uh, as Peter Wagner did. He refers to the things that Peter Wagner said. It's a fastest growing movement, that uh, apostles have authority, that they are to govern. There's a lot of different things he talks about in there. We've talked about in the previous episodes they need to be considered because this is current teaching that's going on and about the Great Commission that the apostles are needed and pastors come under apostles. And we see other people that like Cindy Jacobs, Chuck Pierce that are around that are also spiritual sons of Peter Wagner. Again, we'll talk about them in just a moment and talk about their ministries briefly based on their website information. But uh, that you have the apostolic networks that are still uh, involved. And we don't know how many apostolic networks there are and that all these churches are expected to come under these apostolic networks because they're trying to say on their teaching on this, like Kalinda and others, that there's nothing really wrong with that, that in fact, this is more of the New Testament model. They're, and they'll also say too, well, you know, apostles are around today, but they're not like the original 12, even though there's writings that are comparing as of even 2022, again, from a previous episode, where uh, one of Peter Wagner's books, Dominion, was republished this year by Destiny Image. And one of the things Peter Wagner says in his book, he compares the apostles today to the 12 in Scripture. So there is that correlation there. And I would dare say there are people that believe that there are apostles today, that they are even thinking they are apostles that carry the same authority as the 12 did because they're wanting to restore them back to the original state that they were in. And when they refer to the apostles, you rarely ever hear them talk about the apostles to the churches that were sent messengers, that were church planters, that were there to build up the church, and that they were sent there under the authority of the 12 apostles and, and carry on their work. And also, by the way, too, the 12 apostles were not replaced with the exception of Judas. So we also see that there were no success. There was no succession of apostles in scripture. If anything, Paul established that there were overseers and deacons that were established in first Timothy that were to take 
the place of authority and uh, that they were to oversee the church and to be leadership in the church. Never did they ever have successors of apostles. And Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. So we see that there are the big A apostles that were able to write scripture. They had authority to govern the church that we see in scripture. They were able to do miracles, signs, and wonders. They were able to have this and carry this type of authority. And they are not replaced. And they're not restored. So when you talk about restoration, again, the question has to be asked, what apostles are you trying to restore? That's a fair question to ask. So some of the other observations I wanted to point to, because I mentioned about Shayon, Cindy Jacobs, and also Chuck Pierce. An interesting thing that you will find is that these three were referenced as being the three main spiritual children of Peter Wagner. And these three ministers are still around today. They're high profile leaders in this movement. Again, not an organization, not card carrying members people that are affiliated with governing authority of apostles and prophets. Let's listen to this short clip that was actually a tribute to see Peter Wagner after he passed away so we can hear a little bit more about this and get some better understanding. Even though Dr. Peter Wagner is now home with Jesus Christ, his teaching and devotion will not be forgotten and carried by spiritual children like Cheon, Chuck Pierce, and Cindy Jacobs and also will live in our hearts and ministries. Become my apostle, my spiritual father. Chuck and I are two of his sons. And, you yeah. know, he had many spiritual children, but there were three that really were his key children, Cindy Jacobs, Chuck, and myself. I believe that there is a legacy left with Dr. Wagner here in Korea, that God is calling Korea and those who will continue on in God's kingdom plan to multiply greatly this year. I'm going to take this first mantle and I'm going to put it on Che. Che was his Korean son. Loved him dearly. He was a wonderful student. He has carried on Peter's legacy in teaching over the past six years. So this year will be the seventh year, actually, that Che has carried on WLI. When Peter turned the ministry over to me several years ago, I said, I'm not called to do WLI. I'm called to assist who should do WLI. Let's thank God for Che on and WLI. And we decree that this is the beginning of a new realm of glory and a great transition for the apostolic church to arise in Korea. At that last end, he was uh, Chuck Pierce was praying for two other individuals aside from Shayon. So we can hear from the tribute at Peter uh, for Peter Wagner that these three in particular were 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 designated specifically as spiritual children of Peter Wagner. Since we're talking about the NAR, and we're talking about the apostolic and prophetic and such, and, and we're talking about the definition of apostolic and what this statement means, and we'll look at ICAL in just a minute, but just to give you an idea, let's let's just take a look um, for fun. Let's go to, for example, let's go to Shayon's ministry website, which is called Harvest International Ministries. And when we click on that, we can go to the main page, and it drops down. 
So it says, welcome to him. It's a Harvest International Ministry is an international apostolic network dedicated to advancing the kingdom of God by equipping leaders, multiplying churches, evangelizing, and bringing revival and reformation to the nations. We believe the world is ripe for harvest as we witness God moving all around the globe. HIM values spirit-led relationships, and we are excited to continue furthering the Great Commission together. Now, please keep in mind, I mean, all this language sounds, sounds nice, but you have to remember what he views as an apostle. Because it's the same definition that Peter Wagner had. And they do not believe that the Great Commission cannot, be, cannot go forward without modern-day apostles. The, his ministry is a global apostolic family, it says, with more than 25,000 affiliated ministries and organizations in over 65 nations. Him is actively advancing the kingdom of God through his love and his power across the globe. And as they go on, you can see other ways that they talk about their apostolic ministries that they have. They have a network of networks, includes a network of apostolic centers operating around the world. An integral part of bringing about the great spiritual harvest is to recognize and strengthen apostolic centers. So they believe in equipping people for ministry and launching and commissioning them into their calling. And it talks about you can join their movement. So that kind of gives you an idea for Shayon. 25,000 affiliated ministries and organizations have uh, come underneath his apostolic network. And it's in over 65 countries. So this is not a Christian national nationalist I- issue. This is a separate issue with NAR. Now, the second one I want to look at, the second ministry, is Chuck Pierce. If you're not familiar with Chuck Pierce, he has a ministry called the Glory of Zion. But he also has this network, it seems, called Global Spheres International. So when we click on that website, that takes us to their homepage. And I'll just read some information from there so you can see what Global Spheres is all about. It says, with every new season, we must evaluate the wineskin that God has created for us to be poured from for the future. Remember from previous podcasts, the wineskin is a big issue, the old wineskin, the new wineskin. This is this is New Apostolic Reformation talk. This is in Wagner's books. This is in books I read and in, in statements and such, teachings I sat under for years. Other people have. So this is NAR-type verbiage. Global Spheres is an apostolically aligned ministry designed to help develop new spheres of authority, new relationships, and new structures for the ripening harvest. This is a time that the creativity in God's leaders must be drawn forth in a new way so that we prosper in the midst of changing, chaotic, and worldly wineskins. GSI is a wineskin that is both apostolic and prophetic with individuals from all spheres of life and ministry. What an honor to have been able to work, serve, and walk with Dr. Peter Wagner. Peter was instrumental in helping me form Global Spheres. This is Chuck Pierce. As the transitional wineskin for the contacts and associations that had developed through the years, predominantly from our involvement in the worldwide prayer ministry. In 2012, we ended the Global Harvest Ministries wineskin, and Global Spheres Incorporated began functioning in a new capacity. Peter served as vice president and ambassadorial apostle until his homegoing in 20, October 2016. We'll come back to, to that in just a minute. There's an interesting article I found that Peter Wagner wrote called Understanding How Apostles Minister in Different Spheres and how he words things greatly differs from now now how ICAL is defining things, as we will see in a little bit. Doris, his wonderful lifelong ministry partner, continues to serve as a minister of global spheres. Since the onset of GSI, we have constantly been moving individuals in every sphere from the pastoral, prophetic, and intercessory movements into this better-defined apostolic wineskin that aligns apostolic, prophetic leaders around the world. 
To be successful, we need prayer, prophetic revelation, apostolic leadership, and a developed strategy for transformation that will penetrate each molder of culture in a nation with God's kingdom plan. And in order to join this apostolic network, you must have a relationship with Chuck Pierce or Doris Wagner, and you um, and you are aligned in a kingdom expression of their call and giftings. Membership is by invitation only. So there's that. Now we can look at uh, the last one here for Cindy Jacobs, who was the third spiritual child of Peter Wagner that was referenced. And I also shared a clip of her in that previous episode where she is introducing Peter Wagner and talking about his different accolades and his influence in the church. Um, she has um, ministry that are listed. First of all, her, hers is Generals International, and she also is part of what's called the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders, which the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders, to share this statement, was actually formed by her and Wagner. Wagner stated that he and Cindy Jacobs mobilized God's prophets, aligning them under his head apostleship to form the ACPE. And this is a quote from Peter Wagner. Cindy Jacobs started saying that she was a prophet, that she is a prophet, saw the need for prophets to relate to each other. She began to push the gathering of prophets and brought me into it as an apostle. And finally, the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders took shape. The Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders is a peer level group of prophets now under my apostolic leadership. This is to me an example of how prophets relate to apostles on the broader scale. Wagner then went on to share how he aligned God's apostles under himself and his NAR banner through his um, ICA, now ICAL, organization. He said this quote. I think these are the proper first steps on a broader scale, apostles getting together, prophets getting together, and intercessors getting together as well. Again, I refer you to the book Dominion. He talks about this in his book Dominion that has been republished as of this year. This year, we're starting the International Coalition of Apostles. John Kelly is the administrative apostle. I mentioned his name a minute ago. In case you remember, he was one of the original initial signatures on this current NAR and Christian nationalism statement. Chuck Pierce is the prophetic voice. And I am the presiding apostle. We just sent out 200 invitations to selected people around the world to become charter members of this coalition, end quote. This is again from Peter Wagner. Now, this interview was published at the beginning of 2000. So this interview was published at the beginning of the year in 2000. This is the reference to this. And I, I wanted to bring all this up, too. And I want to read one more thing from when we go to Generals International. I wanted to read from the tab that's on there called Reformation Prayer Network. This is under Cindy Jacobs Ministry. It says the Reformation Prayer Network is a prayer movement for igniting a holy reformation in every sphere of society. RPN is building a network in all 50 states of the United States for each of the seven mountains. That's the seven mountain mandate. And also among local churches, children, youth, and intercessory worshipers. Internationally, we are appointing national coordinators for various people and for language groups also. Join us as we legislate in the heavens in reformation intercession. So that's the uh, prayer network for Cindy Jacobs, who is one, again, one of the designated, um, one of the recognized, one of the recognized spiritual children of C. Peter Wagner. I thought that that would just be interesting to share, to give you a little bit more insight. Maybe you didn't know this information was available, so you can take it, measure it out, test it as you will, and to see what you think about it, how it uh how it measures up against scripture as far as the understanding of modern day apostles and prophets and and what is being talked about in the new apostolic reformation which again it is the restoration of apostles and prophets to have governing authority in the church 
Now, as we go on, I, I did mention about iCal, and I have looked on their website. I looked on it earlier this year when I did a previous podcast on apostolic authority, and it was interesting because I noted then that within a week of me looking on it, which had nothing to do with me looking on it, it just, I think it was coincidental, but I happened to notice that from the time I initially looked on it to when I went back to refer to my information, the website had been changed uh, on one of the tabs that talks about defining what a, uh, an apostle is, they had removed the statements that Peter Wagner had put on there that in 2001 was the beginning, that marked the beginning of the second apostolic age. And then he went on to talk about Ephesians 4.11. They left some of that on there, but some of the statements that were ascribed to Peter Wagner were taken off, and they are doing like an, over, it looks like an overhaul on this website. For example, when you go to look on there, and uh, again, the definition of uh, apostles or apostolic leaders, they do mention about the New Testament uh, outlines the gift of the apostle in Ephesians four eleven and 12, and they touch on Ephesians 2.20 and 1 Corinthians 12.28. And they talk about the apostle Paul and Christ's apostles spoke of the gift as essential for the healthy function of the church and training of the saints. And they go on to say that ICAL believes an apostolic leader is a servant leader with the recognized gift and fruit of an apostle. I guess the question would be, what is the gift and fruit of an apostle? So there is a, a link that you can click on on iCal's site. It says, why does iCal use the term apostolic leaders? So they say here, iCal believes an apostolic leader is a servant leader with the recognized gift and fruit of an apostle. Here are some of the reasons why iCal uses the term apostolic leaders instead of strictly the word apostle. Pay attention to this because it's going to be pertinent to our discussion today as I read an, in a few minutes an article from Peter Wagner. The word apostle is a noun, which a noun is a part of speech used to name a person or thing. The word apostolic is an adjective, a part of speech that modifies a noun qualifying or describing the word. The word leaders, a noun, refers to a plurality of those who function as a leader. To ICAL, the word apostolic describes the character, characteristics, missional strategy, purpose, and fruit of a person possessing the grace gift of apostle, as, an, as noted in Ephesians 4.11 and 12, and 1 Corinthians 12.28. The distinguishing evidence that one is truly an apostolic leader includes, on their website, they are a primary point person of a network, a movement, or a major thought leader who influences thousands of people. They are master builders and overseers of God-designated spheres of influence. They are recognized and honored by their followers and their peers. Many with the gift of apostle choose to call themselves bishop, pastor, prophet, doctor, or other titles, including apostle. ICAL is not impressed by titles, but what by what qualifies people, their fruit. And they quote Matthew seven sixteen twenty. you shall know them by their fruit. And they go on to continue talking about fruit as evidenced by one that has actually built, established, and accomplished in the character by which they function. It is also seen in their commitment first to Christ the King, second to those whom they serve, third to those they are in relationship with. ICAL is a missional movement of apostolic leaders from all walks of society who influence all spheres of society, the church, education, government, media, and so forth. That sounds like Seven Mountains, I think, doesn't it? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Okay. ICAL believes an apostolic leader is a servant leader with a recognized gift and fruit of an apostle. Again, I may be missing something here. It doesn't seem super clear as to what that is. It seems like it's building and it's overseeing and having a place of authority and seeing uh, being the primary person over a network or a movement and it kind of seems like they're rewording these things, but it's it's the same thing. And it's and again, it's playing this game of semantics. And maybe I'm missing something, and perhaps I'm wrong in this. But it, it just seems it just seems like a game of semantics 
on this. I don't see any difference in this. It's just a rewording of the same ideas. And the reason why I say that is because when I go further down on that same page where it talks about the definition of an apostle or apostolic leader, there's a couple of articles that they have listed that are written by, once by Dr. Ron Cottle and Dr. John Kelly called Apostles. What are they? And they say there's much discussion on what the word apostle means and how to describe an apostle. Some of the confusion is because apostles don't all look or work alike. Some focus on world missions, some on the marketplace, and others on the local church or a network of churches. Well, again, this is something that Peter Wagner talked about. You'll see this in a few minutes. There is this belief that For those that hold to modern-day apostles, they believe that there are vertical apostles, horizontal apostles, hyphenated apostles, that there are marketplace apostles, that there are all kinds of different apostles that Scripture really doesn't talk about, and that that they want to say that there are different spheres of influence that people have, and then in the Seven Mountain Mandate, they'll say that, depending on who you talk to, they'll say that the certain apostle has to conquer a certain mountain that's in the Seven Mountain Mandate, and when they conquer that mountain and take over the territorial spirits that are over that mountain, that, that they can conquer that that area of influence in society, and almost bring like this utopian type belief. I mean, I remember reading in one of Wagner's books, at least, that he talked about uh, alluding to the fact of you not having any more issues of sickness and all these other things and even uh, potentially I may be misspeaking but it was almost as if he, he wrote in there of no more sin and no more struggles and and this is before it sounded like it was before Christ came back uh, it was a dominion theology that we have to take over the world the church is to take back the the world before Christ can come and almost in in a way that God is dependent on us before he can come back. You know, there's a lot of stuff we've talked about in other podcast episodes with this. But it it seems like it's still alluding to some of the things that Peter Wagner believed. I don't see a a distinction here. Um, Some focus on world missions, they said, in the marketplace. Apostles are ambassadors, generals, governors, and patriarchs. This series of teachings will begin with the ambassador apostle. The next two months, they say, will focus on generals and patriarchs. They say apostles are ambassadors, and they refer to Matthew 10, verses 1 through 2, where Jesus commissioned his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority, commissioned them apostles. And then it says Jesus himself chose the people and the title. It was Jesus alone who chose the name Apostolos for those whom he called, authorized, and sent out. Among the earliest uses of the term were the Greek historians who used it to describe an admiral over a fleet of ships sent out by his king to discover, explore, conquer, and establish his government in new territories. Jesus' choice of the word reflects this meaning and stresses its emphasis on one sent from another or a fully authorized representative, ambassador of the sender. Apostles are fully authorized representatives or ambassadors of the one who sent them. Well, I am confused because if apostles are being likened to this and they are fully authorized representatives or ambassadors of the one who sent them, why are they using Matthew 10, which is referring to the original 12 apostles for their example, if they're not like the original 12? I don't understand that. Something, again, maybe my brain, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt for myself, maybe my brain is not computing something from the the mucus and the sinus stuff that I've been dealing with lately. (laughs) But does anyone else see that? I mean, I will be glad to share the links with this so you can read it for yourself. But I don't understand how the statement can be made in this NAR statement. We do not believe that there are modern day apostles 
um, like the original 12, but yet there are people that sign that that um, are possibly, and we can't access the list anymore. They've they've eliminated the ability to see the directory for the, the leaders of ICAL. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Michael Brown was a, le- was a, a member of ICAL. Um, I don't know if Dr. Randy Clark was or, the, uh, or any of the others I mentioned, but there's this article that's on there that's talking about apostles are fully authorized representatives or ambassadors of the one who sent them, re- referencing Matthew 10, uh, verses 1 through 2, where Jesus called aside his 12 disciples, and after he had given them authority, he commissioned them apostles, whom he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them authority and the 12 apostles. Does anyone else see this? I'll keep going. Apostles were were first disciples, they say in this article. It is important to note that the people chosen and authorized to be apostles were already disciples. That is, they were not just pupils learning facts from their teacher or even students learning principles from a professor. They were disciples who were incarnating the character and essence of their master. Like Timothy and Paul, they took on the same soul or DNA of their Lord, Philippians 2.20. Jesus led them to a mountain and there poured into them himself. He did not released them until they were thoroughly filled with his vision and values. Only when they were ready did he release them for the task and turn his attention to teach and preach in their cities. And then they go on to talk about the difference between disciples and apostles is the impartation of the exousia. What is the difference between committed disciples and committed apostles? Exousia. This is not power as the KJV translates it. Rather, it is the right to power or authority. Again, they reference Matthew 10 verses 1 through 2. When one is sent out as an apostolos, he is the full delegate and representative ambassador of his sender. He carries on his person the full authority of the one who sent him. Do you see again (laughs) that they are using the example in Matthew 10 of the original 12 to correlate with what they believe is an apostolic leader here on their site? I don't understand the difference. <laughs> I'm not under I'm not computing. And they talk about how Jesus did not speak or think Greek, but Aramaic and Hebrew. And they go on to talk a little bit more about the Greek apostolos gives us the form of the New Testament apostle. And in summary, they say an apostle is an ambassador of the one who sent him. And then their second article by Dr. Ron Cottle is called Apostles are Generals and Governors. And they touch on uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4, where Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. And they say warfare in this verse is, it is a military service, that we are at war and God has provided equipment that is powerful and fit for demolishing every enemy fortifications erected against us. All this equipment is most effective under the command of a full representative of the king, an apostle on assignment and under orders. In the New Testament, this person is a strategos, warrior strategist, a general or governor in his assigned sphere. As his representatives, God gives apostles commissions and goals. As apostles, we devise the strategy to accomplish them. Some translations of strategos in the New Testament are governor, chief magistrate, or captain of the temple. Both are Caesar's representatives over either a territory or a temple. This person served as an officer of the government of Rome and was commissioned by Caesar to be in charge and responsible only to the government. If he served faithfully, he had the entire might of the Roman Empire behind him. If he served unfaithfully or abusively, he was subject to recall or banishment by Caesar, but never by the subject of his assignment. And so they continue to um, expound on this and talking about that apostles are generals and governors. Again, I will put the link so you can look at this for yourself, but I'm not seeing a distinction here. And the other thing I noticed too, before I get to Peter Wagner's 
uh, article was Joseph Matera, who was one of the co-drafters of this statement, the NAR standard statement. He is also one of the leaders that's over uh, United States Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. USCAL. When you go on their website, before, I used to be able to read a couple of different articles that he had written. One of them was called The NAR and the Restoration of Apostolic Ministry Today. It had two parts to it. And the other one was called Abuses and Blessings of the Contemporary Apostolic Movement. Those articles are gone. They're not on there anymore. And it's interesting because on the abuses and blessings of the contemporary apostolic movement by Joseph Matera, one of the things that he actually says in that article, which I, again, I have that article on number three, it says recognizing the apostolic can also help us usher in a new apostolic reformation. He's acknowledging that again. When you go on USCAL's website, there's like a seven and a half minute long video that you can watch. It talks about the four R's that they believe in. They believe in the restoration of the church with the vision of Jesus and the original apostles. They believe in going to a first uh, century, the first century church model where apostles were over the churches. He talks about that in the video. He talks about the four R's, the the restoration of the church, the reconciliation, Uh, revival and reformation, and to restore the church to the mission and method of the ways of Jesus and the apostles, reconciliation between the ethnic leaders and churches, revive the church to expand kingdom influence, and reformation of society and the discipling of nations. And he also, in that video, if you watch it, it, it's kind of interesting. Again, he doesn't talk about the mountains, but he he alludes to referencing the in influencing areas in society and arts and media and entertainment. And if you are savvy to, <laughs> to some of the stuff that's said, you're going to notice those are referencing the seven mountains. Even though the verbiage is changed, it's still it's still the same. Um, in this other article that I have of his that he wrote about the NAR and the restoration of apostolic ministry today in the second uh, part two that he wrote, these are actually on his his personal website, but they're no longer on uh, USCAL uh, as of today. I double checked to make sure, and it looks like that there's a very limited amount of articles left on USCAL's website. But he talked about that um, he believed that the present embrace of the fivefold ministry of the evangelical pastors in the USA is going to bring a convergence between the charismatic, independent apostolic networks, evangelical networks, and ultimately even evangelical Bible-confessing denominations. He goes on to say in this article that he believes that the implications will be extraordinary. The church will go from being pastorally led to apostolically led and prophetically inspired. This emerging apostolic paradigm will shift the missionary focus from planting local churches to planting movements of churches and Christ followers will that will permeate every facet of society. He says the apostolic paradigm will shift the focus from gathering crowds on Sundays to developing disciples who will manifest the reign of Christ from Monday to Saturday. He says the present apostolic paradigm will restore the church back to the way of Christ and his apostles. That was one of the four R's I read to you from the video. He also talks about that the present apostolic paradigm will bring a course correction to the new apostolic reformation and view the apostolic as a ministry function, not an office, as an adjective, not a title. 
The present apostolic paradigm will correct the autocratic top-down hierarchical government of many in the NAR and mimic the servant leadership style of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you may notice some of the same type of words and such because he helped co-draft that statement. You'll see some of this echoed in the NAR Christian nationalism statement. He also says in this article, the present apostolic paradigm will not spout triumphant dominion rhetoric like the church is called to take cities when rather the church is called to love and serve our cities. And he talks about the cultural mandate in here and the ultimate goal, the fivefold ministry gifts of Ephesians 4.11 will continue until we all come to the unity of the faith. Jesus said the world will not believe he was sent by the Father until the church is united as one in him. And he references John 17.20-24. So this, and he goes on again to talk about the apostolic function, as mentioned in Ephesians 4.11, is a ministry expression and our gift from Christ himself. It is a function of his body, which is his church, not a separate entity or personality outside the church, although it is encased in an individual leader. So I just wanted to to make note of that. Those two particular um, articles are no longer on USCAL. I don't know why. I don't have an explanation for you, but you can access them on Joseph Matera's personal website. Now, also, too, I wanted to mention, as far as Ephesians 4.11 continues to be brought up um, by people in this movement, which that was one of the go-to passages I was taught when I was in this movement. But Ephesians 4.11, um, when you read it, verse 11 through 13, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's important to note that nowhere in this passage does it talk about governing offices. These are not, this is not talking and never does it say, Paul never specifically says that these are governing offices. These are gifts to the church. And I want to touch a little bit more on that at the end and ask some thoughtful questions to you. And again, this is not an attack on people individually. These are to bring to your attention what's going on and to to draw you to these certain areas, to these these sources, so you can see what's going on, and you can test these things for yourself in accordance with Scripture. And to not be veered away and distracted away from what is the main point of the NAR, which the, the, the primary foundation, in addition to other things that they believe, but the core tenet of the New Apostolic Reformation, as cited by Peter Wagner himself, was the authority of the Apostle a radical authority of the apostle and that it was the fastest growing movement. Those were the two axioms to also note that the two axioms that Peter Wagner always talked about, and it was not an isolated incident like Kalinda wants to say that was just cherry picked. He said this over and over and over again, and he did it. He wrote it in forwards and books. He wrote it in books. He wrote himself. He cited this. These, this was like his mantra that he said when he talked about the NAR, that it was the fastest growing movement in the Christian world, um, sec- next to Islam, and then it was radically fast, the radically fastest growing movement, and that the the level of authority of an individual was extraordinary, which was the apostle. He viewed the apostle as having governing authority, and that they were restored, as were the prophets, to governing authority in the church. This is not something to dismiss and try to say, well, we were going to change the words around a little bit, and it means something different. And I'm sorry, but you can sign a statement all day long, but if you aren't going to abide by it and to do what you what you say that you don't agree with, but then you're going to partner with people that do agree with these things, you're sending mixed signals. 
it's not congruent. It's not expressing what you believe and, and showing what you believe to be true when you're partnering with these other people that do believe that there are governing apostles and prophets. And there's nobody being called to the carpet on this by name. It's just a broad blanket statement that's being put out there. And no one's being said, okay, so-and-so, we're acknowledging these certain people are in error and we're asking, we're calling them to repent and we're calling them to turn from this error and to turn back to Christ and to the gospel and to the truth of scripture that we believe is sufficient. Where is the call for that? I mean, if we love people enough, we're going to call them to say what they're doing because it's public teaching, public prophecy. That needs to be addressed. Because otherwise, this is just a blanket statement and nobody knows who they're talking about. It's just these people that are in the spiritual ether that belong to this quote-unquote conspiratorial NAR that we don't agree with, that we recognize that there were leaders that, that started this, but we don't agree with it now because it's a left-wing talking point that the heresy hunters have picked up. That's a red herring, <laughs> as some other people in their podcast want to say. That's a red herring. You're distracting from from the truth of what's going on here. This is a legitimate movement that is hurting people. It's damaging people's faith. It's confusing people and it's teaching false doctrine. It's teaching practices that are uh, contradictory to what scripture actually shows and teaches. And if we also want to talk about the um, apostles, you know, if you want to say that there are modern day apostles today then you can't use the the Matthew 10 as your example and say, well, we don't believe in the, that they're Apostles Day in original 12, but we believe that they're Apostles Day, and we're going to cite Matthew 10, because that's, and that's what's, and it's talking about the original 12. You can't do that. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, if you want to talk about that there are other Apostles, there were other apostles that are mentioned in Scripture. I do agree with Kalinda on that, that there are other apostles. And he made a comment in his podcast, too. Um, he said that those who oppose, he played clips from MacArthur and Justin Peters and Vody Bauckham and Paul Washer and a few other people. He played that were um, opponents to modern-day apostles because... Again, the understanding is, is when you argue and say there are apostles and prophets today, you're not talking someone like Barnabas or Andronicus or other people or Silas, people that were identified as uh, James, the half brother of Jesus, that were identified as apostles that were not apostles of Christ. They they are more referenced as apostles to the churches. But that's not what they mean when they're talking about apostles. And if they are, they need to clarify that. But when they talk about apostles, they're talking about those that have governing authority. And those men that stand against that, they say the the foundation's been laid once. There's no need to lay another foundation. There's no need for it. And so that's where they're standing on that one distinction, governing authority, that Kalinda did not that he that he failed and neglected to mention. It's not just in the belief of modern day apostles and prophets. It's that governing authority. So then as we go on, we see that there were apostles of Christ. And again, I want to refer to God's super apostles. They they cover this in their book and they talk about that there were different types of apostles during the first era of the Christian church. The word apostle had a somewhat flexible range of meaning in the early church. It could be compared to the English word messenger, which is used with some flexibility today. A messenger can be sent by a human individual, by an institution, or by God. The type of apostle was with the accompanying level of authority was determined 
determined by the identity of the senders and the circumstances of the sending. So Christians in the early church understood that some apostles were sent out directly by Christ and exerted extraordinary authority to govern the church and oversee the writing of Scripture. They included the twelve, Paul, and several apostles mentioned in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven, who had seen the resurrected Lord and bore a special relationship to him. And those are referred to as apostles of Christ in this book. And they go on to say Christians during the apostolic age also understood that other apostles were not directly commissioned by Jesus, but were sent out by churches for special tasks. These other apostles had important roles in ministry, but they probably did not exercise great authority like the Twelve and Paul. Rather, they functioned during that era much as missionaries, church planters, and church representatives to do today. And they call those the apostles of the churches. And you know, one thing to consider, too, is that that term apostle today, given how it's used and it's used by other um, types of religions, Kalinda touched on this, which I would again agree with this, that uh, the Mormon faith, they have 12 apostles. They have men that have been and they are they continue to refill those positions as apostles. So they have 12 apostles in their church, in the Mormon church. Um, there are other groups that acknowledge this and try to trace their apostolic succession back to even Peter. Not necessarily to all the apostles, but some religions will trace it back to just Peter, depending on who you're talking to. What we can see is that we can certainly trace the Christian faith back to the apostles of Scripture and that we are still today learning from Scripture because the apostles are still ministering to us today. So in theory, the the apostolic ministry has not ceased because we have Scripture. (laughs) We have the Word of God and they are still ministering to us and we are still abiding by the, the apostolic teachings that were given to them by Christ himself to be taught to us to abide by and to obey and to follow God. Now, one other thing I wanted to point out to you as we begin to wrap these things up here is this article I found from Peter Wagner. It was called Understanding How Apostles Minister in Different Spheres. And you're going to notice that between this standard statement that came out for the NAR and Christian nationalism and what's been changed on ICAL compared to what Peter Wagner said, who was the founder of ICAL or ICA and other organizations and such and was involved heavily in this movement and coined the term for the movement, he had this to say. He defines apostle as a Christian leader gifted, taught, commissioned, and sent by God with the authority to establish the foundational government of the church within an assigned sphere of ministry by hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches and by setting things in order accordingly for the growth and maturity of the church. And what he excluded in his definition were three biblical characteristics of apostles, which some include in their definition of apostle, and he chose not to include them. And I find that interesting. He uh, excludes signs and wonders, seeing Jesus personally, and planting churches. And his reason for this is that he does not understand these qualities to be non-negotiable. They characterize many, perhaps most apostles, but if a given individual lacks the anointing for one or more of them, this, in my opinion, would not exclude that individual from being a legitimate apostle. And yet he was the one that wanted to compare modern-day apostles today to the original 12 who actually did do signs and wonders, who saw Jesus personally, and they did plant churches, and they had a great authority over the church, and they wrote scripture. And you will also see and hear people today that um, suppose themselves or presume to be apostles, uh, big A apostles, and they sometimes will have um, extravagant stories, as I've talked about before, that Jesus personally comes to them because they have read scripture or they have an understanding that apostles have to have that or need that. 
some, some, and maybe some people don't have that understanding, but there are some of these people that do. The other thing that Wagner notes in his article is the title Apostle. He says, There continues to be discussion as to the necessity of actually applying the title Apostle to individuals in a church today. Some argue that functioning as an Apostle is enough without needing to use the title. My conclusion is the contrary. While I concede that the function is the most essential consideration, I also believe that there is increased power in the use of the title Apostle. The function, in my opinion, will be more anointed and more of a service to the church if the title is used. He says the adjective alone is not enough. So he disagrees with those who are now trying to say, well, we're going to use a noun versus the adjective or the adjective versus the noun. He says the adjective alone is not enough. Some advocates of the apostolic movement, he says, have chosen to use the the adjective apostolic in their writings to the exclusion of the noun apostle. They speak of apostolic leadership or apostolic churches or apostolic ministry with the implication that by doing so, they are describing apostles. There are at least two reasons for this. Number one, Some use the adjective according to Wagner and not the noun because they do not believe that the gift and office of apostle are operative in the church today. Well, that would not apply to ICAL, would it? So that's not the reason, according to Wagner. He says, case in point is the American Assemblies of God. An official public denominational position statement was issued by the General Presbytery of the General Council of the Assemblies of God on August 11th, 2000. And under a subsection titled Deviant Teachings Disapproved, one of what is referred to as a departure from Scripture, which threatens the life and stability of local churches, is, quote, the problematic teaching that present-day offices of apostles and prophets should govern church ministries at all levels, end quote. This teaching is attributed to persons with an independent spirit and an exaggerated estimate of their importance to the kingdom of God. Such persons are wrongly interpreting 1 Corinthians 12.28 and Ephesians 2.20 and 4.11. This paper argues that the leadership of the local church, according to the pastor's epistles, is in the hands of elders slash presbyters and deacons. There is no indication in these last writings of continuing offices of apostles and prophets, though the ministry functions still continue, end quote. The The section ends by arguing for the adjective, not the noun. We affirm that there are and ought to be apostolic and prophetic type ministries in the church without individuals being identified as filling such an office. But he also makes a footnote here that another gentleman named David Cartledge noted that this position of the American Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal cessationist. He said another reason given for this by those who do not believe that the office of apostle is operational today is that the adjective could provide more of an entry-level approach for others who might not yet be ready to recognize the office implied by the noun apostle. That's interesting. This was the case with the first book on the apostolic movement published in Australia out there, The Church of the 21st Century, edited by Ben Gray. However, as John Eckhart points out in in his book, Leadership, Every church should be an apostolic church. Every believer should be apostolic. Every teacher should be apostolic. Every evangelist should be apostolic, and so on. If this is the case, which I agree with him, then the adjective apostolic is not specific enough to substitute for apostle as a noun. And he goes on to make uh, the distinction between vertical apostles, which are ecclesiastical apostles that are given authority over a sphere which includes a number of churches, presumably in an apostolic network headed up by the apostle, and uh, makes other distinctions under their vertical apostles and horizontal apostles, which is what he um, identified himself as, uh, that he did not provide apostolic covering or accountability as a vertical apostle. Now, as we begin to wrap up, I know I played at the beginning for you a clip of Michael Brown and Cheyenne, and 
Shayon was on God TV and he had Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown on his um, program and he identified him as a hyphenated apostle and an apostolic evangelist, but he called him an apostle. And I've heard Michael Brown talk about this before, or some people have asked him about it. And he says, that, you know, well, I didn't want to correct him. I didn't want to be rude. I was on his program. Um, I Again, I think it sends confusion to people when you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. And you're going on here on a person's program that explicitly believes what, what Wagner did. And he calls you an apostle on there, and it's not corrected. Uh, I, I think that that just provides a lot of confusion to people. Uh, Questions for consideration. Given both the statements, the prophetic standard statement that came out last year and um, the one this year for the NAR and Christian nationalism, what impact did the prophetic standard statement have? I would say it had very little to any impact on the situation in the prophetic movement. The impact that this statement will likely have, I, I would suspect little to any. (laughs) the same as the other one. Um, It seems to me like a toothpick placed on the tracks in an attempt to stop a freight train. And you're not going to stop this freight train because there are people that like to be in power and authority and they like having these titles and they don't care if they're abusing. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that calls himself an apostle or prophet is abusing people. What I'm saying is though, that it is um, a great temptation and that there are a lot of people that are being mistreated and um, improper, uh, unbiblically taught in this movement by leaders that are assuming these positions because they have been taught by these leaders came in agreement with Peter Wagner. They're being taught these same things and they're passing it down and, and it's, it's perpetuating um, unbiblical and abusive treatment towards people. You have a fraction of people who have signed this document as of today. Again, 302 people have signed this document, and it is highly unlikely that you will see those who hold to the view of governing apostles and prophets with authority in the church to bring revelation being denied sharing a ministry platform with those who disagree and express concerns. That's another question. Are these leaders who signed this willing to identify the leaders to which they refer to in this document and to distance themselves from them until they repent and they get under proper biblical teaching? Are they going to continue to share platforms with these people and to bring more confusion and to basically endorse their ministries and endorse the false teaching and endorse the, the, the false doctrine and the abusive practices that go on? I'm concerned that the waters will continue to be muddied. And admittedly, this is a muddy and confusing issue because it has been made to be muddy, possibly deliberately or unintentionally. But it's it's a muddy, confusing issue because the the language that's being used is is so confusing and it's not clear. Uh, Will networks disband where apostles are overseeing in dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of churches in exchange for divine alignment or spiritual covering? A lot of these churches, these pastors are being told, if you'll come under alignment under these apostles, you're going to have all these benefits. You're going to have a spiritual covering. um, And you're also, by the way, you're going to have to give, depending on your level of commitment in this network, you may be requested or even required to financially give in order to honor the leader and the vision of the apostle. Is that going to be addressed? Was that something that was done in the first century church? That the the churches were told they had to give to the apostle in order to fulfill their vision? 
Is this what we saw? The networks that were taking place, that these churches that weren't even established, that were planted by, by the apostles, that weren't, that weren't planted by the apostles, is that what we saw in the first century? I want you to ask yourself these things. Will those who believe in governing apostles and prophets retract their statements? Will they reverse course in their teachings and practices when facing pushback and questioning? These are all questions, and there's many more questions that could be asked about this that need to be asked and and considered in all fairness. And some closing thoughts I have for this, you know, though I appreciate some of the things stated in this document regarding the NAR, it seems to be a distraction from the real issue of this movement. And I also find it to be detracting and tone deaf to the countless people who have been adversely affected by abusive leadership and unbiblical practices. And that's not honoring Christ, by the way. That, that's dishonoring. That's bringing reproach on the name of Christ, and it's bringing reproach on the gospel. When the true gospel is not being ministered and we're having gospel plus ministered, and we're having all these other things ministered that are taking away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins and to give us the promise of eternal life when we place our faith in him to save us and to reconcile us back to the Father and to give us the promise of eternal life with him forever. It it brings reproach on that when we have to add something to the gospel in order for it to be effective. And scripture is clear that the gospel in and of itself is the power unto salvation, Romans 1.16. And this is the reason why I say that about bringing reproach on the name of Christ and on the gospel, and it, that it's tone deaf when it comes to people, because their last statement regarding NAR in this document, it says, in short, we deny any affiliation with what is presently characterized as NAR in many circles of both Christian and secular press. What We also believe that reports of an alleged conspiratorial, worldwide, dangerous NAR movement are highly exaggerated and misleading. And this statement may be attempting to lead into the next topic of Christian nationalism. And I'm sure that there's things that the secular press has said that are inaccurate, as well as some Christians have said some things that are inaccurate. But that still doesn't change the fact that there are dangerous things that are going on in this movement that are harming people. And it's harming the, the testimony of Christians, of true Christians. This statement may be attempting to lead into the next topic of Christian nationalism, but anyone who does their homework on this will find this is not conspiratorial. It is worldwide. It is dangerous with the aberrant practices perpetuated. It is neither exaggerated nor misleading. It also seems to contradict what is stated and even reworded by organizations espousing apostles and prophets today, and it appears to be more of a game of semantics, taking away what Wagner said and rewording it to say the same thing in a less disturbing way. So looking at all of that, I hope that you will take these things in consideration as you do your own research and you listen to people on both sides of the issue, weighing everything and testing everything with Scripture. And I want to leave you with two final questions before we part ways today. If apostles and prophets are needed today, how is the church being built if the foundation is not finished? And if modern apostles and prophets are needed today, then what does that say about the sufficiency of Scripture and the ability of Scripture to provide us everything that we need for understanding, for correction, instruction, reproof, rebuke, in accordance with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I hope you'll think about those questions. And if you have any comments or anything, please feel free to leave them. You can also reach out to me, um, dawn at lovesickscribe.com. And I look forward to being with you on here next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review on it. 
And I, again, I'd love to hear from you. And as always, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.